Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Calmetti here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in the series Revelation for Beginners, and we're going to talk about Chapter 20. So, Susan, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Dina. Glad to be here. Amen. Yes, we are so excited to have you here and also to dig into this very interesting chapter today. Right. Chapter 20 is a very interesting chapter, and we're going to open up with a whole lot of information on Satan, hell, and some other topics there with regards to that that are completely misunderstood by people in general. And I think if you went on the street and did your average, you know, interview with the average person, you'd be amazed how absolutely almost no one understands about hell and the enemy. So I think we're going to really try to clear up a whole lot of misconceptions and misunderstood points about those topics. Great. And plus, we're really kind of wrapping up toward ramping up to the end of Revelation, which is exciting as well. Very exciting. Because that's the end of the book, the end of the Bible. That's it. Yeah, it's the end of it. The end all be all. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to start with chapter 20. And for the sake of time, because this is really important chapter that we're covering, I'm just going to ask everyone to go back and watch our prior videos of Revelation, starting with one through the last one we just did, 19, and to follow those videos and to understand leading up to this one. So I recommend you go all the way back. And then this project we're doing is Revelation for Beginners. And so we're breaking it down verse by verse. We're trying to take a look at this. And it's just merely an overview of Revelation to try to help people to feel more comfortable about reading the book of Revelation and not to be so put off with it. And for people who might even go to a church where they won't touch the book of Revelation. So here we are, we're, we're going through it a little bit of a time to help people to understand it. And of course, the general overview of Revelation is that it's a book of prophecy, visions given to the disciple John, who was given these visions while he was on the island of Patmos. And he was imprisoned there because he was a follower of Jesus. And he's much older man than he was when we first see him in the Gospels as a disciple of Jesus. So years later, after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, Jesus appears to him as a much older man and gives him these amazing visions, which is called Revelation. And so John is a very interesting character, and we talk about him quite a bit through this whole series. But now we're going to start with this wonderful chapter 20, and we're going to begin with verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, bound him a thousand years. And then verse 3 says, And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Okay, so that's a whole bunch of stuff there, and we're going to break that down, kind of discuss it a little bit. Now, 
you know, some people believe this angel right here is Jesus Christ, the one who has the key to the bottomless pit and, you know, takes back the key from the enemy and places him into the bottomless pit. And I have to agree with that thinking, Dina, and I'll tell you why. Because if we go to chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 18, it reads this, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. And so I just happen to believe that this is actually Jesus who comes and takes hold of the enemy. Very interesting. Yeah. And I mean... You know, other people have other interpretations that it was an actual angel, but that's just me. It's just my my thinking that, you know, he's the one who can actually deal with that kind of evil, you know. Now, in verse 2, interestingly enough, we see four identities for the enemy. And one is dragon, and we often see, you know, Satan as the dragon, Also, the serpent, we see that used for him quite a bit and represented by the snake in the Garden of Eden. And we see the name Satan, which that name, for anybody who wants to know, translates to mean slander, which is directly related to the scripture that says he is the accuser of the brethren, okay? And then we go and we see the other name for him, devil, So if you translated the meaning of devil, that means adversary or foe, okay? So that's, you know, the other various meanings of his name. And so for some reason, we hear a lot of names there. Also, we see that he's put into the bottomless pit. And so if you want, we can go back into chapter 9. And I'm heading back to chapter 9 in my Bible to talk about the bottomless pit because we had talked about that before. And so we'll do a quickie review of that, and we just go right to chapter 9, verse 1. Okay, and so if you go back, it says in verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven and unto earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And so we see this in reference to a scripture previously in the Bible about Lucifer. And it says here, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain, the mount of congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Wow. Was this guy full of pride or what? Okay. A little bit prideful. Little bit. Okay. And then Jesus declares in Luke 10, 18, that he beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And that other section we see in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, about details on Lucifer, which is another name for the devil. And in verse 2 of chapter 9, it says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun of the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. 
And this is the point in the Bible, it's the fifth trumpet where we see these locusts. Remember we talked about those locusts that are released onto the earth and they have those great stings and they create so much havoc for men. Like the men can't die, but they just get stung by these things, right? For and five they... months. They're tortured oh, yeah, for five months. Right. right. So that's just a reminder that this is the place where those locusts come out of there, the bottomless pit. And the Greek says the pit of the abyss is found about nine times in the New Testament. Uh, it's a prison or a place of restraint. And we see that's what we call this, the abyss. So just a little reminder of what that is. And verse 3 says, and he's cast into the bottomless pit, shut up. There's a seal upon him that he's not going to deceive the nations until a thousand years should be fulfilled. And then he's loosed for a little season. Okay, so he will be in that bottomless pit for the thousand-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ during that period. And then he's released for a little season. So we'll be talking about that next, okay? Okay. And just why he's released and what that's about. But for uh, all practical purposes, we're going to move forward into verse 4 here. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years." Okay, so we see reference once again to the mark of the beast here. And we talk about the souls that were beheaded because they would not back down and deny Jesus. So they are have to do the hard thing. They get martyred. Those are your tribulation saints. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, there may be a definite separation between the first section of verse 4 and these souls. So let me reread this. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded. So perhaps here in the first sentence of verse 4, that could be the pre-tribulation saints that were the elders who are on the, the um, you know, sitting on the seats, the 24, plus the church that's mm -hmm. raptured out in uh, chapter 4. And then there's kind of a separation. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded. So I don't know if there's just different groups there or how that might work, but we see that they will also reign with Christ a thousand years during his thousand-year reign. Verse 5 goes on, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. And so this is the first resurrection actually goes with verse 6. Now remember that 500 years ago, they divided the Bible up into verses and chapters and all of that numbering. And so sometimes I think that they put these numbers and things, in, you know, they might have been better in different positions, okay? And this is one of those situations but i want to talk about the rest of the dead here that live not again until the thousand years were finished the rest of the dead are the ones who are the evil those who were not either the raptured saints who were found worthy to escape 
and the elders who throw their crowns, you know, the, the dead in Christ who rise first, and these martyred saints who were beheaded for their witness. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the rest of the dead in reference here are all those who, who are not saved. Okay, that's who they're talking about in this particular scripture. And I just want to say something about the beheading section. You know, Dina, years ago, not so long ago, wow, not so long ago, I would read this about beheadings in Revelation. Mm -hmm. And I would just be like shocked because I would, you know, because I knew it was future tense. And I was thinking to myself, how in the world will a cultured civilization go back to something archaic like beheadings, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would like scratch my head and just wonder how how could how will this come about? But over the last decade, we can see it's like wow, you know, it's really coming about. Well, we see it with a lot of terrorist organizations, right? And right? we also see this. I thought was very interesting. So the legal executions that some states perform for those that, uh, for, you know, major criminals, the Uh injections that they've been using, these cocktail of drugs, haven't worked out for a lot of these executions. So they've moved to, some states have moved to um, firing squads, which I thought was very interesting. They've also moved to the electric chair. And there was a governor in Maine that said that we should bring back the guillotine. Now, this was back in 2016. They said Uh that it wouldn't be a pretty sight, but that it would get the job done with as least amount of suffering as possible. And they were talking about this because these cocktails of drugs, these injections that they've been giving people, they've had some failures with it. And so these inmates had, on death row, had suffered because, um, you know, right before they died, because these cocktail of drugs were not the right formulas, I guess. Well, electrocution isn't the the greatest thing either, by the way. No, absolutely not. So, yeah. So, you know, but along the same line, uh, since you and I both have covered end time news, um, I have definitely been seeing an increase of beheadings in criminal activity. Yes, yes, yes. I've heard about that as well. Like with regards to just general street crime, everything to, you know, activity with drug lords, you know, that kind of thing. It's just generally cropping up more and more and more. It's just really shocking, to be honest with you. It is, it is. But that's the direction that we're supposed to go in. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this is the demonic spirit rising up. Absolutely. But again, like I said, you know, you know, about a decade ago, you'd read this and you'd be like, what civilized culture would ever return to something so grisly, you know, but wow, it's here. We're seeing it. You know, it's really coming together. So let me go back to verse six and it reads, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Okay, so this first resurrection would be the, the saints of the raptured church and the dead in Christ who rise first. And we can see that 
in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, and also 1 Corinthians 15, 15 through 54. So you can read about that on your own, and you can see all about that. But let's go forward to verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And in 8, and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And so at this juncture, I think it would behoove me to talk about Satan and exactly how he operates and a little bit more about, you know, some things people don't seem to realize or understand about him. So he is right now, as we speak, he's the God of this world system. And we can see that in Ephesians 2.2, and also he is a ruler in these heavens. And how do we know this? Because we have gone back into the book of Job, and when we read the story of Job, which we won't go into too much detail, but we see that, that he is actually at the throne with God talking about Job. And saying, you know, God says to Satan, well, take my man Job here and look at his upright life. And Satan challenges God and says, well, if you took all the good things away from him that you've given him, he would curse you to your face. And so they have this challenge about Job and his life. And, of course, we know how that story ends. But there he is. Satan is at the throne. And God even says, where have you been? And he says he's walking about the earth going to and fro on the earth, Satan says Mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. And so we see that he has this incredible vantage point that he is the prince of the power of the air among the prince and the principalities of the air, which are his, you know, follower minions, the fallen angels. That was a third of the angels fell with him. They are not redeemable by the blood of Christ, by the way. They are irredeemable most likely because they had lived with God in heaven and been part of that and still were corrupted, okay? So for a period of time, from the beginning of the time of this earth until, get this, the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation, something happens, and then Satan is thrown down to the earth by God at the midpoint of the tribulation, three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation. Satan loses his vantage point of being able to go to and from heaven and that area of the, you know, the air, I guess you would call it heavens one and two, that sort of thing. But he is thrown down to the earth. And so for three and a half years, he is confined to operate on in and on the earth. And that's exactly the point when the Antichrist pulls back the peace pact that he's made, the false peace. And that's when war comes about. And that's, you know, about the point that the Antichrist is assassinated and is resurrected 
and probably, you know, has Satan is probably completely taken over the Antichrist at that juncture, okay? Because he's already pretty mad at this point. And so we see that situation leading up to the end of the seven-year tribulation where Satan then is thrown into the abyss where it says, you know, we saw that there's a seal and that he's held there for a thousand years, Dina. And here's the interesting thing. But then he's released for a little season, the Bible says. Okay. And people often ask, you know, because it's peaceful for that thousand years because the devil is locked away. So why does God allow this beast to come back on the earth and make trouble again? Everything was nice, but I think I know the answer. But I'll, of course, I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, I'm sure you know the answer. And so I just want to mention, though, the misconception that Satan is operating in hell all this time with, you know, a red outfit with a pitchfork. And <laughs> well, I, I think people really believe that. No, I laugh because he comes as an angel of light. He's not wearing no little red suit and a pitchfork, but people actually think that. That's true. Right. And so the the reality is that he has been up in the heavens connecting with God, and he is the accuser of the brethren. So he goes before the Lord and accuses the brethren night and day, the scripture says. And so when he's thrown down to earth, they celebrate in the heavens at that point, probably because they're tired of him constantly accusing the brethren. Okay, that might be part of it, but that's what we see happening. And then he is thrown into the pit and he's put there, chained up for this period of a thousand year reign while Jesus takes over the earth again for a thousand years. And yeah, you have asked, okay, what in the world is going on? And I think you know, and the answer is free will, right? Yes, yes, because there's going to be people that are going to make it through the seven-year tribulation. And during that millennial kingdom, they're going to have children. And those children are going to need to make a choice. Right, right. For Jesus. And so... Right, because it's required that people make a decision, they will have to choose. And unfortunately, here's the answer. Here is the answer, and it's right in verse 8. And boy, is it a shocking answer. It says, and that Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. To battle who? To battle the saints of God who are, you know, under the auspices of Jesus Christ. That would be the church and the beloved city in uh, Jerusalem. And so they come to battle together against God and his people. And the number of whom is as the sand of the sea, Dina. So he is able to deceive a lot of people. Once again, he does it again. But this is the thing, because in those days, Jesus would have been ruling in Jerusalem. Correct, Susan? Mm -hmm. Correct. So they would have seen, for the most part, Jesus Uh in the flesh. Right. So they would have seen the miracles, you know, they would have seen that they would have, have experienced the peace 
and the beauty and the perfection in that thousand years that they were on earth. So right. when he, if, if he is able to deceive these people who have right. seen Jesus, you know, because he's going to rule with mm-hmm. a rod of iron, right? That's right. That's so right. Th- it's amazing to me that well, people right. can be deceived like that when they would have, you know, been able, it, it's going to be way different. Jesus will be in the flesh. Well, and here's the thing, Dina, the judgment of God for this group, that's the number of whom is as the sand of the sea, will be swift because fire comes down from God out of heaven and it devours them immediately as they're gathering around, you know, to take the city by storm. The fire comes down from heaven and it consumes them. Okay, so God, he pretty much not going to take any prisoners here. They're they're just. And this is another thing. They know that this is going to happen because the word of God is still going to be on the earth in those days. I I believe so. So I don't know if they just skip read that section or or didn't bother. I don't know. But wow. Once again, Satan eludes the people and they follow him. And now this would not be the fallen angels are not even among this group because the fallen angels would would be, you know, chained up and locked away. No, already. this is just the devil and people. Right. Human beings. Yeah. Right. 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 And so verse 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, the beast being the Antichrist, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so we'll go forward and we'll hear a little more about that. But it's just, you know, a statement saying that this is going on. And let's go ahead further down into verse 11. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no, found no place for them. Okay, so we might come back to that scripture, but right now, that individual is Jesus, okay? And so we're going to learn more about that, how I know that's Jesus, as we move forward. Verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So this great white throne judgment is for the judgment of the evil men that were put away in hell during the thousand-year reign of Jesus on the earth who had done evil in their lifetimes before Jesus reigned over the earth, okay? And so we're going to take a look at this further. This is a very telling book of the Bible, chapter 20, and explains a lot. So verse 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Yeah, because there are probably plenty of dead bodies in the sea, by the way. And death, which is the grave. Okay, in the scripture it says, And death, that's meaning the grave, the dead body, the physical dead body. And hell delivered up the dead, and we're talking about the soul, which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And verse 14 says, And death, the body, and the soul, 
hell were cast into the lake of fire and this is the second death okay so these individuals suffer two deaths the ones who are evil first they're put in hell and then they're put in the lake of fire and that's considered the second death so their first death is their original death and they're sent to hell and we're going to I'm going to get into this but first verse 15 says and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And so it's very important that we pray to have our names written in the book of life, okay? And so those who are written in the book of life will be overlooked for all of this evil coming up and all of the judgment, okay? And so who is the judge here? Who makes the who calls the shots? Who is the decision maker? Well, it is Jesus himself. And let me go forward to show you some scripture about that, because if you look at John chapter 5, verse 22, it says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgments unto the Son. Okay, so there it is. It is not the Father. It is Jesus himself who is the judge. Okay? And then John 5.27 goes on to say, The Father hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Okay, so then we go further into Acts 17.31, and it says, He hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And that man he's referring to is God's man, uh, Jesus Christ. And so he gives Jesus the reins when it comes to judging the dead, the evil dead. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. And so let's go forward. And we need to just really understand about hell. And we talked a little bit about Satan and how we misunderstand who he is and where he is, you know, at this time in the Bible and in life, you know, that he's operating from the air as the God of this world until mid-trib where he's thrown to earth, thrown down to earth by God himself. But we've got to understand about hell. And there is a great misunderstanding about hell, Dina. And so I want to try to explain it. We've got a one word in our Bible, and it's hell. But the Greek translation has two words for hell. Did you know that? I did not know that. Right. There are actually two words. One is Hades and Gehenna. Okay? So you may have heard those words oh, in the past. Oh, yes, 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 yes. We pretty much lump everything together into one thing called hell, whereas the Greeks were more, you know, specific about Hades and Gehenna. And so are they two separate locations? Yes, they are. And so knowing that, we can pretty much understand more clearly what's going on. So Hades is basically when people are the bad people, so to speak, when they die and they die in their sin, apart from the salvation of Jesus Christ, they go to Hades, okay? So... Hades is a kind of a holding place, if you will. It's a not a pleasant place, I'm sure. I, I'm not. No, they're not. They don't have a resort running down there, and you know they're not all partying together. No way. But I would say 
that it's kind of like the local jail, whereas Gehenna is more like the penitentiary. The you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know if there's any way to look at it, but uh, they're held in Hades, which is I'm sure a place of torment and terror. Okay, because people. When people see hell, they call it hell, they're seeing Hades, okay? All these testimonies of I went to hell and I saw hell, they're seeing Hades. Gehenna is the lake of fire. And so as far as I know, I don't know anybody that's, you know, talking about they've actually been in the lake of fire, which is Gehenna. And Gehenna is the second death, Dina. Mm -hmm. So... It's like the person dies twice if they're evil. The first death is their physical death where their soul is separated from their body. They go into this place of torment called Hades. And during the thousand reign of Jesus and the period of time left remaining in the earth before that, whether it be seven years or however long we've got, they are in this place of torment. And then they go out the end of the thousand year reign of Jesus. They are judged at the great white throne judgment. And they are judged by their work of evil that they did while they were in the earth. And when Jesus, who is the judge, not the father, but Jesus, judges them. And I have also read, you know, that the humans will also judge angels. We've read that. So we're not 100% clear on that part. But I will say this, that then... When it's clear that their name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, then they are sent to their second death, which is Gehenna. And Gehenna is the lake of fire. And that is where they burn endlessly, and there is no getting out. It's eternal. There's no getting out. It's forever burning. And people say, oh, you know, God wouldn't do this. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's right here in the scripture. You know, some people, I think, take pens and delete these sections out and then say it's not in there. But, you know, it can't be denied. It's in here. So I want to talk a little bit about the goal of Satan for everyone. Okay. Let's hear it. The goal of Satan is for the individual to not be saved by Jesus's salvation and not to be surrendered to the will of the Father and not to have the filling of the Holy Spirit and not to repent for their sin. His goal is to get every human being to basically commit all of the Ten Commandments. Now, if you don't believe that the Ten Commandments are in effect, then you need to go back and watch our video of the Ten Commandments, which prove that every one of the Ten Commandments are alive and well in effect in the New Testament. Not the Old Testament, but the New Testament talks about all ten. And here's what the devil wants to do. He wants you to stand before the Lord, and everyone will. Everyone will bow their knee to the Lord and admit that Jesus is Lord and will have to give an account of their life. So every time you hear about somebody dying, my thought immediately is, well, they're, they're standing before the Lord giving an account of their life. Okay, so here is what Satan, who is the accuser, wants you to have happen is that he can goes right down the list. Okay, and says this individual committed adultery. Now, the person is going to go, no, I was never in an adulterous relationship. And but it's going to be said of them, well, if you even thought of a woman in a lustful way, you committed adultery in your heart, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then they'll go on and say, well, what about stealing? 
Well, I didn't really steal. Well, if you coveted something in your heart, you stole in your heart, okay? And then it'll go on about murder. Well, I never actually killed anyone. No, if you so much as hate a brother, you've already killed him in your heart. So on and on and on. It's really about the heart, okay? And even blaspheme. You know, if you think evil in your heart without even saying the word, you're blaspheming. So our thought life can be judged. And that's why we so desperately need the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to repent of our sins. We're born into a fallen world. From the moment we, you know, give our first breath, we are fallen. We're cursed. And until we get to the point where God draws us to the Lord Jesus for salvation... The Holy Spirit is the one that draws, and we, if we keep rejecting that drawing, we're, we're going to be in danger of committing the unforgivable sin, which is if you deny Jesus enough, you won't be forgiven because without his salvation, you cannot be forgiven. And so what I'm saying here is the enemy wants you to be able to stand before the Lord and have committed against God all of his commandments, the Ten Commandments which are now written on the heart of the individual who comes to the Lord. And so we see this in the scripture in Matthew fifteen nineteen. This is not Old Testament. What I'm about to read is New Testament. Let me read it. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, and this is in Matthew 15, 19. So right there, your heart will condemn you. So if you stand before the Lord and you may have never touched anything, you might have never murdered, you might have never committed an adultery with someone, and on and on, but your heart will condemn you, your thoughts, your thought life, your evil thought life. And so that is exactly why we need to surrender our life fully over to the Lord Jesus and he alone, through his blood-bought salvation, can A, save us and, and deliver us into the right to return back to the will of the Father. Because without the will of the Father, we're doomed. And that's what most of the churches are not teaching. They're not saying, oh, you need to go forward and surrender your own will back to the will of the Father. Well, that's exactly what got lost in the Garden of Eden. When Satan tempted Eve and Adam to eat of the tree, well, what they did was they entered into their own will because he said, you'll be as God, you know, just like little gods. Well, God has his own will and he was tempting them to have their own will. So they took their own will, but it's not God's will. It's not the will of the father and it's an evil will. And that's what we're cursed with. We all have our own will. And this is what Jesus came and died for to give us the privilege to go back to the will of the Father. And so Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden because they had their own will, and Jesus came, and he's bringing us back. He's bridging us back to the will of the Father. We have that privilege, and most people don't go there. Most people don't go forward and ask to exchange their own evil will with the will of the Father, which means you've got to surrender it all. And that's, you know, when we talk about, in the last video, we talked about Matthew 25, the five virgins who are locked out, they can't get in because they have partial oil lamps. They have not gone full board and surrendered to the will of the Father. And that's exactly what the, Satan is banking on, because they'll be spit out by Jesus. 
okay? And so that's how this all comes together. It's a very evil plan of the enemy to trip everybody up. And everybody's pretty much falling into it. And so this is what we're trying to say. We're trying to show everyone that the lake of fire is what everyone who goes against God and does not surrender to the will of the Father through the salvation of Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit and repentance and remorse for, you know, operating in your own evil will, then ultimately you will be landing first in Hades for a period of torment of potentially a thousand years. And then after that, you will face God in the great white throne judgment and a second death and be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. And there's no getting out. And there's no getting out with good behavior. No such thing. Not even. And so that's the difference between Hades and Gehenna, which is not separated in our English Bibles, by the way. And so I think that's real important that we understand that. And ultimately, false prophets and Satan and the Antichrist, who are the evil trinity, will end up in Gehenna. Okay, so now we know Gehenna has to do with the lake of fire, which is the second death, which is interesting because this is where they suffer for eternity. There's no getting out. And so I want to talk about the fact that there are degrees or levels of punishment according to one's acceptance of the word of God, or I would say exposure to the light while they were in the earth. And let me give you scripture to support what I'm saying. So we take a look at Matthew 23, 14. It says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Okay, so that is a significant scripture because the word greater is important. It it doesn't say ye shall receive the damnation. It actually literally says a greater damnation. So... That indicates that they are going to receive a higher level of punishment in the next life, which for them would be hell. Okay, let's go ahead and take a look at Matthew 11.24, which supports the scripture I just read about the Pharisees. And this says that it talks about that it shall be more tolerable or bearable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for Capernaum. Okay, so we know Sodom was evil because God blasted them and took them out for their evil. But look here, he literally says that it's going to be easier for those in hell from Sodom than Capernaum. Now, what happened in Capernaum that would put them in a greater damnation like the Pharisees? Well, because they had access to Jesus Christ who visited their city and preached to the people and so they had more access to the light than say you know someone in the bush right who had was living in the jungle and had no access to jesus so there are levels of punishment based on your resistance to the truth and how much access you had to the truth and how much you resisted it so ultimately you will end up and cast into hell and so My word for today, if I could say anything with regard to this, is 
you better find out fast if you are lukewarm or not. Because the lukewarm, Jesus says he spews them out of his mouth. And, and when it says they're lukewarm, it means that they have a partial understanding of the Bible. They're religious. They call themselves Christians, and they have access to the Bible. And yet they're declared to be lukewarm by the Lord, and he literally spews them out of his mouth when they stand before him. And that's not a good look. That means they're going to go to hell. But right here in what the scripture I just pointed out, that their punishment in the next life is going to be way worse than someone who didn't have the same sort of access to the word of God and to Jesus Christ. And so let this stand as a serious warning. If you are a Christian and you're just dabbling in a relationship with the Lord, you better get serious. And I'm I'm serious. The scripture is here. It supports this and it's time to get serious. And Dina will put a link below that you can go to that we did uh, about the a video about the lukewarm church and i implore you to check that out and so dina that is uh where i'm going to leave this now we're going to wrap this up that's our teaching for now on this topic of hell and the enemy all righty yeah this is a very serious topic you guys and so i would definitely take susan up on her um advice in you know, if you're playing church and you're playing with God, that now is not the time to do that, to get serious immediately. You know, today is the day of your salvation. Today is a day where you can return to Christ and leave your backsliding behind and come to him with a full heart and full surrender. If you have any questions, we're here for you. Well, Dina, I have to say that I'm a little excited because we're coming to towards the end of our study of Revelation, and everybody needs to come back for chapters 21 and 22, because, wow, this is the culmination we've been waiting for, is the big grand finale, where we get to talk about the good stuff, we get to talk about the New Jerusalem, and some really wonderful things, and boy, have we got some exciting things to reveal about the New Jerusalem. So I really want people to hang in there as they have been all along and just keep going with us all the way here. Yes, absolutely. You guys got to come back. And Susan, thank you so much for uh, teaching us and for giving us these wonderful words of wisdom in God's word. We so appreciate you. I know I do. And um, thank you, everybody, for watching the show. Please share these videos, you guys, so that other people can know about the times that are coming and to avoid them <laughs> and receive Jesus. In addition, um, this video will be here on YouTube, of course, and you'll be able to find it on the Jesus 24-7 playlist. We'll also have it on BitChute and Rumble. And Deanna will also make um, podcasts for us. Thank you, Deanna, so much. I wanted to give her a shout out. She's so wonderful. But she'll create some podcasts. So you'll be able to find these on Anchor and Google and Spotify and Apple. So make sure to come and visit us there. And um, leave your comments below this video. We'd love to hear from all of you. And Susan, is there anything else you'd like to add? 
No, I just really hope people come back next time and continue to share the videos and pray for us as well. We appreciate your prayers. Yes, pray for us, you guys. We, <laughs> As we pray for you, as we pray for you, we, we definitely would love to have your prayers. But um, with all of that said, thank you again, everybody. Thank you, Susan. And stay tuned for chapter 21 and chapter 22. God bless everyone.